and Hound podcast. Hello and welcome to the Horse and Hound podcast. I'm Pippa Rim, magazine editor at Horse and Hound. Well, by the time you listen to this, we will be well into the Paralympic action and I'm really looking forward to seeing some more horses out in Tokyo and hopefully Britain bringing home some more medals. Our interviewee today is the working hunter producer, Katie Green, who reveals how she deals with the highs and lows of working with horses. Most of the time, I just laugh about it. My classic was falling off prof in the water tray in the middle of the Horse of the Year show. And I did stand up and, and I took a bow because I thought, what else do you do when you're utterly soaking wet? I'll be talking to our news team about social media abuse, the Olympic boost for equestrianism and horses who can't sweat. Finally, personal trainer Katie Bleakman gives us insight into the importance of aerobic fitness for riders. This is going to be the key to success. Improving your aerobic and anaerobic energy systems are a consideration you want to be thinking about. What is it that you do? What does your discipline require? So, pull up your girth, let's get going. Hello and welcome to Horse and Hound's guest interview. I'm Alex Robinson, showing editor here at Horse and Hound. I hope everyone's having a really successful showing season so far and that you've managed to achieve what you set out to do at the start of the year. I've had an amazing few weeks myself with my own pony and I'm quite glad that the season is starting to calm down a little. Uh, and I think there's only a few big championships and county shows left to run. So we're nearly there, guys. <laughs> this week, I'm joined by a rider who I always love watching in the ring and I love chatting to her too. This is Working Hunter Specialist Katie Green. Hi Katie, I hope you're well. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Um, so Katie's one of the best working hunter riders in the business and she's had winners at all the major county shows and she's a regular face at Horse of the Year show and the Royal International. She runs her team from her base in Warwickshire and she's got some exciting new faces this year as well as some of her much loved stars. And hopefully today Katie will take us through that journey that goes um, from kind of picking out a raw prospect in the field that's nothing more than a potential to becoming a star who can jump round at these these big shows but just before we get going Katie how's 2021 been for you how's your season going yeah 2021 has been an interesting one for me um I started with my three of my top horses and I had two youngsters to bring on but sadly two of my top horses have been off all season um they've both had um injuries so they've had Ah. to have six months off which wasn't ideal so my young horses have had to step up a bit and and fair play to them they've been absolutely fabulous so yeah it's been um it's been an, an interesting year for me but still really exciting I've had some really good wins and the the young horses have really tried really hard and my old man who I was planning on retiring um has had to step up and carry on for another <laughs> year so bless him and, and he's been fab too so it's, it's, yeah, it's been a learning year if that's the right way to put it Perfect. That's what we like to hear. So Katie, I'm going to take you right back now. What made you want to become involved in working hunters and how did you start out in the game? Um, so I I started, I actually started out, I wanted to be an eventer um, and I did a lot of eventing when I was younger and I had a really bad fall um, when I was about 11 or 12, I think. Um, and it just really knocked my confidence. And I think if I'm honest, my mum's confidence as well. So she quite liked the idea of me 
starting um, doing something different and you know jumping fences that fell down rather than cross country and and I I just fell in love with it um, and I've loved it ever since and it's sort of a bit like a sickness for me now I just I just eat sleep breathe it so um, I just I got in for a really really young age and I started off in the pony ranks I had a nursery stakes and went through the ponies and and now I'm doing horses so I I just I really enjoy it I think it's a really good way um, a really good sort of discipline um, you have to learn an awful lot from a young age of style and um, you know winning and losing there's an awful lot of work you have to put in um, and I think it's really rewarding at the end of it so I just I really I do really enjoy working hunter. So now you've made working hunters your career where do you find your prospects and where do you go looking for these next stars of the working hunter ring? So I have been really lucky over the years and I've just sort of come across I usually look for three or four year olds Mm -hmm. Um, I never look for established horses Uh, the prof has been the only one who uh, we ever purchased who had done a little bit beforehand Um, but yeah normally I will sort of start to look at some of the Irish sales or horse quest and stuff like that and I'll um, just start to look for a three four year old I usually always look for them to be broken Um, I don't really have the time now to be breaking them myself but I don't like them to have done too much more than having been sat on because I I like to produce them in my own way we can learn our mistakes together um <laughs> so I'd always rather have a horse that I can put my own spin on mm-hmm. and say if you go to view a horse how can you tell if a horse is going to do the working hunter job is it in the breeding or would you kind of ask them to loose jump the horse obviously or yeah what would you do I I always have a, a sort of stamp in mind I do like traditional mm. Irish horses um and I think for me, they I have to like what I see, whether it's an advert or um, you know basic sort of confirmation. I I like to see a basic um, video or or pictures or whatever, and I have to like the stamp. And then when I go and actually look at a horse, um, movement obviously they have to move straight. Um, I can cope with the odd blemish and confirmation and hope that I can um, iron that out. Um, but I think essentially for me with a working hunter is their brain. They have to be mm-hmm. trainable. They have to want to do their job, and I can vaguely tell that from a three or four year old um my young horse I've got at the moment Cruz uh, when I went to try him he was only four and hadn't been broken that long and I was only popping him probably over two three foot no bigger and he had every single fence down when I tried him <laughs> but he just he he tried really hard and he, he kept coming he was really keen to a fence and I just sort of thought I'm sure well, I hope there was something in him that he had a great canter and I thought surely I can hopefully train him and as he strengthens up he'll get a lot better and, and bless him he's only six now and he's been jumping clear around how he's qualifiers this year so he's it, it I, I I just like their attitude I think mm-hmm. the basics of the you know, structure and stuff they have to have what you need for a working hunter there but everything else I hope I can train into them that's the plan anyway yeah well it seems to work for you <laughs> and um <laughs> so you get your you, you get your horse and um, he's backed he's going and you've kind of decided you want to go down the working hunter route what are some of these early training stages you might implement before you know heading out to your first competition so every horse I buy I have a winter at home with I will hack them because um, I, I never like to push them too hard too quickly mm-hmm. um, so all of mine sort of if I haven't said as a four-year-old they will just hack and do some probably going to school maybe two or three times a week at most but I never school them too much I want to try and make it different they'll do a lot of basic pole exercises I don't really jump a lot at home um, I just like them to develop and develop slowly and we are really lucky where we live I've got some great hacking and a lot of hill work we do an awful lot of hill work um, 
so when I start taking them out, we might go and hire a few places first and just go and have, I'll let you pop a couple of little courses up and just let them find their feet and, and, and just find the confidence as well. I think, you know, they really do have to be quite brave. And I think you, if you push them too hard, too quick, you can scare them quite quickly. Mm. So I wouldn't normally take them into a worker competition till they're about five. I'd probably give them a good four-year-old year of just playing. I might do a bit of dressage. I might do the odd flat class. Um, but I don't like, especially when my horses are quite big, I don't like to put them under too much pressure too early. So I, I, there's a lot of training that goes in before they go to a show, but it's quite quiet, if that makes sense. So I mm-hmm. wouldn't drill them. I wouldn't do too much work too early. And how long would you tend to keep a horse in novices for? I mean, I bet this does vary from horse to horse. And I kind of bet if a horse has a massive jump or is showing signs of, you know, progressing really quickly, it can be easy for some riders to do a little bit too much too soon. But how can riders avoid this? Yeah, so I, again, I tend to listen to what the horse says. So I have um, a horse called Ozzy, who's AOC Quality Oz, and he's seven. Um, and because of COVID and stuff, he's probably a little bit slower, but he was not ready to to jump around opens until this year. He was so big and so gangly, and he really uh-huh. struggled in between the fences. Um, so he needed a little bit more time in novices. But my um, other horse, my six-year-old Cruz, he he's already jumping around Hoy's qualifiers this year. He was just too cheeky and cocky with the novice courses. <laughs> um, and I think quite a big problem for us, especially if you're taking the big horses to some of the shows, there's not that many novices at every show. So if you want those horses to progress and to see the likes of the county shows and get them out, um, I'll sort of pick and choose the nicer courses and the, the you know, certain course builders where I'm not too worried if the fence is a bit bigger, but they're not ready for them to be too trappy. So right. mm. um, I was quite happy for my six-year-old to jump around a few Hoys qualifiers um, this year. And I would never take him to Hoys if he did qualify. Mentally, I don't think they're ready for that sort of pressure um, at that age. But I I do. I just I think it depends on how the horse takes it. And you do get to a point where they either it's a big step up from the novices to the opens. And if there's not really enough in between to ever really get them ready for it. So I tend to I will I'll go show jumping as well. So they should step up a little bit in between and not just go straight from the little novices to the, the really big opens. But I do. I just try and keep it fun for them. I think every mm-hmm. everything for the horse, they have to enjoy it. And if I go and jump around a Hoy's qualifier, and I think that was a little bit much for them, I'll then drop them down again to give them confidence again, whether I do that in the worker ring or whether I have to go and pop around a show jumping course. I always try and make sure that they are confident in themselves. So it does just depend on, on again, on the characteristic of the horse. And and setbacks, they do happen to everyone. And I think oh, yes. when, we, <laughs> when we start out, we can have a little bit of beginner's luck. And actually, I've recently started jumping my own pony and he it was Excellent. all going a bit too well. And then he's thrown in a few naughty stops recently. Yep. And for someone who's quite novice like me, it did it did kind of throw me off a little bit. So how can riders deal with those setbacks and what do you recommend them doing? Is it, you know, getting training or, as you said, going back to basics a little bit? Absolutely. Everyone has setbacks and never take them as negative. I think every time I have a bad jumping round, I will sit there and I'll analyse it and I'll work out what I did wrong, what the horse did wrong and how I can correct it. Um, And again, don't try and do your homework in the ring. Um, Come away. If you have a trainer, talk to your trainer about it, video it, watch the video back. And most of the time, I will sit down and I can write, okay, I need a slightly better plan and a more realistic plan. And again, some horses are better jumping really regularly, some aren't. So if you do have the odd bad competition, just again, just drop them down a level, go a little bit smaller, go and pop around some show jumping, take the pressure off. Um, it doesn't always have to be in the working hunter ring. 
um, take your trainer with you or go to your trainer's house or whatever but just keep going I think it's never a case mm. of come away and think that was a disaster I'm giving up you never never set, ha have that attitude um, I mean gosh I've had plenty of falls plenty of disasters <laughs> um, and most of the time I just laugh about it my classic was falling off prof in the water tray in the middle of the horse of the year show and I did stand <laughs> up and, and I took a bow because I thought what else do you do when you're utterly soaking wet so you know I, again I didn't say there's a negative it's you have to have a bit of a sense of humor when you ride mm. any horse um and again I literally the following week we took prof out and we put a few water trays indoors um at a, just I went and hired a I think it was Sully Hill Riding Club which is down the road from me um and just went and popped him around and gave him a huge amount of praise and just again just let him forget that it was ever an issue um so uh, yeah if I ever have a bad round I will go and do my homework then away from the rings I think there's always an added pressure when you go straight back in the ring and try and correct something mm. And practice those water trays. I've also learned that oh, the hard yes. way. <laughs> yeah, practice the blues, <laughs> full of water, especially. And if you get wet, you go, you get back on. <laughs> so, and and just finally, Katie, is if there's a rider, you know, completely new to working hunters, or maybe even jumping in general, do you have maybe two or three top tips that they can use to ensure they start out strong? Yeah, absolutely. So one of my biggest things for me was to learn from others um, and okay. ask other people there are so many professionals who are always out there wanting to help wanting to encourage more people to take up working hunt or whatever um, and I think you're never you're never unable to learn I think the more you can learn the more you can take from somebody else enjoy it and and, take it. and again it is fun try and have some fun with what you're doing it is meant to be fun um, yeah we all enjoy it we all work very hard at it um, and I mm -hmm. think you just have to I think you have to have a little bit of a, a season plan. If you're starting out and you're starting out jumping, have a, a, a an aim of what you want to do. And that aim hasn't always got to be to win. Even if that aim is just to jump a nice round, to work on your style marks or to just get from three of the first fence to the last fence. I think don't have too much pressure. Um, train hard. Gosh, I, I'm, I think every success that you notice from anybody there is so much hard work that has gone into that little bit of success. You know, nobody just walks into working huntering and wings it and, and jumps clear around. It doesn't work like that. Um, huge amount of training. Um, you know, all of my horses have a huge amount of physio, of osteopaths. They have, um, you know, regular therapy. It's, there's a lot that goes into it. And again, I think, I think a lot of people, um, should sort of look at professionals and, 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 not, and again, ask professionals how they get to that point. How do you, what what work has to go in to make a working hunter um, talk about their feeding routine their um, you know, everything because there is so much that goes into it and working hunters aren't show jumpers they are mm. very different um, and I think if you're still starting out a working hunter the best piece of advice I can give is work hard learn from anybody that you can so everyone everyone on the working hunter scene that I know is always happy to help always happy mm. to give any advice showing is quite hard to break into um, and again, there's nothing wrong with that. Don't see that as negative. See it as a, a, a goal or an ambition. Work really hard and just do your very best to to enjoy it. And, and like I say, every success is, is a bonus. Perfect. Thank you, Katie. Just just before we sign off, um, where are you heading next? Uh, yeah, which shows next on your list? Next on my list. Morton and Marsh, I think, is my next one on the list, I think. We'll probably do Stonely before that. Mm -hmm. um, again, I've got... Um, my Aussie has qualified for the horse of the year show and then Jack who's 18 I'm just trying to keep him fit he's jumped around a few horse tracks and he won at Berry Farm but I'm not massively chasing them with him he's an old man and he doesn't need to oh, and again him. the 
the six-year-old will jump um, another couple yet. So, but again, just for experience. So I will probably just take them, show them a couple of times and then some Morton Marsh and the BSHA champs will be beginning of September. So that'll be, be the next next few that we do. Perfect. Well, best of luck for the rest of the season. Thank and you. thanks so much for joining us. <laughs> Thank you for having me. <laughs> So I'm joined today by two members of our news team to chat about everything that's happening this week. So first of all, hello to our news editor, Eleanor Jones. Hi, Eleanor. How are you? Yeah, I'm all good. Thank you. Uh, I went to a show the other day and you'd have found this quite funny, Pippa. I went to show jumping and uh, my horse was jumping beautifully and then got absolutely terrified by this killer cross country jump that was just the other side of the fence out in the field and just would not go anywhere near it. So she wouldn't be one for you. Clearly doesn't want to be an event horse. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. I love the fact that she was so terrified she wouldn't even go near the cross country (laughs) fence. That's quite extreme. Well, we also have with us our news writer, Becky murray how are you becky i'm good i'm getting excited because i'm heading off to report at blair castle from friday um but this also means i'm leaving my non-horsey partner to turn out and muck out four mares for three days and because i've not been away in forever i'm a little bit nervous he's out of practice (laughs) oh well i hope you have a great time at blair and i hope that all goes well with the mare care so to speak Oh, well, I had an exciting weekend. I had a little jump on Alfie for the first time since the end of May and then got very excited and entered a BE event. So, um, where are you you going? (laughs) I have entered Munstered in the uh, sort of middle to end of September. So we've got four more weeks to get everything in shape, hopefully ready for that event. And I'm being quite realistic. If he's he's not ready, I won't go or I'll just go and do the dressage and show jumping. So, uh, but it's that situation where if you don't enter now, uh, you're not in the mix, are you? So we'll see what happens. Well, we've got so much going on and so much coming up. Our colleague Lucy Elder, who's often with us on this slot, is uh, in Tokyo at the Paralympics as we speak. And we'll be catching up with Lucy next week about all that action from the Paralympics. But we've got some uh, some other news for you this week. So, Becky, coming to you first, you have been looking at a story about social media in equestrianism. And this sort of came spinning off the sad case of the Swiss ridden horse, Jet Set, who had to be put down after an irreparable injury during the Olympic cross country in Tokyo. Can you just tell us what happened? And, and I know you spoke to Jet Set's rider, Robin Godel. Uh, what, what did he say to you? Yes, well, there's such a tragic thing to happen to Jet Set and all his connections. And following Jet Set being put down, his 23-year-old rider, Robin, put up a post on his Instagram and Facebook accounts informing people what had happened. And in return, he received some really awful comments. When I spoke to Robin last week and he said he'd had abuse not only on social media but by email and telephone as well and people were saying things like Jet Set was put down for the insurance money and how selfish Robin was and just really nasty things like that. And before speaking to Robin, I actually looked at his Facebook post and it really, it took me only a couple of minutes to find some really hurtful comments. To be honest, at first I felt quite sad reading them and then I just felt angry that people behind a screen are doing this to someone. Robin told me it was the first time he's ever experienced something like this on social media and he was trying not to take it personally. But of course it was hard for him to deal with alongside losing his horse. 
Yeah, and he's such a young rider. And this was obviously a sort of a high profile case. Um, but, you know, that injury was irreparable. It was in the best interest of the horse for certain that he was put down. And I think in horse sport, we sort of all understand and accept that although it's very sad and we should obviously do everything we can to make the sport as safe as possible for the horses, it you know, there are accidents and, and injuries. This wasn't even an accident. It's something that could happen to a horse as it was cantering across a field. But it's awful that, that a rider would receive abuse in that way on, on social media and by those real direct methods as well. What other sort of examples are there of this in equestrianism, Becky? Well, there's been jockeys that have been receiving abuse on Twitter and um, Safi Osborne, the European junior eventer, was one of these jockeys that had sort of direct messages and I spoke with dressage rider Abby Lyle. She ended up removing Facebook from her phone because she felt it was such a negative place to be scrolling on Facebook. She'd posted videos in the past and not even on a horse and she would get bombarded for these horrible comments. So it really seems, you know, across the disciplines it's happening. Yeah, and I, I actually had an interview with our new Olympic eventing champion, Julia Krajewski, the German rider. And in that, she said that during the Rio Olympics, she moved Facebook to the sort of back page of her phone screen. So it wasn't just there when she opened it and, and she's just left it there ever since. And that's been a positive, a positive thing for her. So obviously, riders have to decide where to draw those boundaries and how they manage their social media. But obviously, social media can be a great tool for the good as well, can't it? Exactly. That was something Robin pointed out as well, you know, because I, I sort of said, has it made you want to come off social media? And he said, social media is obviously it's a modern way of communicating. It's how he sort of keeps people up to date with his horses, with his news and results. So he very much thinks social media is important for the sport. Hmm. Well, I'm glad that he's able to take that quite mature attitude and hopefully move on from this and isn't, isn't you know, really scarred by what's happened. But something that's quite concerning that we're seeing in our sport and, and, and across social media. Thank you, Becky, for filling us in on that. Eleanor, coming to you now, this is a positive story about the Olympics, which is in this week's magazine. And it's looking at the boost that British equestrianism could gain from those five fantastic medals for Team GB's riders in Tokyo. What sort of areas saw a rise after the success of horse sports at London 2012 and, and might be affected again this time in a good way. Yeah, hopefully. Uh, I mean, one quote from Oliver Townend, who was obviously on the eventing team that won gold, um, was saying what an honour it was, but also that he hopes it, it lets other kids who are from sort of normal backgrounds, you know, not, not privileged, not huge amounts of money, that have a dream to realise that it, it is doable. And he said, you know, if you've got a dream and you're willing to dedicate your life to it, it can happen and it happened to us, which I thought was 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 lovely. Um, but yeah, we, we sort of looked into, uh, as was covered at the time, the effect that the amazingly successful equestrian home games had in 2012. Um, British dressage had a 20% increase in membership figures between London 2012 and, and the World Games in World Equestrian Games in 2018. Um, and we reported uh, a few back in 2013 that there were record ticket sales and, and crowds at Olympia and badminton. There were uh, equestrian colleges were, were reporting that more students have been inspired to take up careers in the industry and they had loads more applications so yeah hoping we can harness the positivity and the inspiration which is what the olympics is all about isn't it and um and it will really benefit the industry yeah, definitely. And I think that um, new British eventing CEO Helen West was one of the people quoted in that story. What did she say about it? 
She, so she said again about that inspiration and how uh, key it is to encouraging new people into the sport who then might in a few years time go on to become the next medalists. Um, and she described that the, the achievements of our riders is, is a, an amazing gift that we must grab with both hands. And, that, and how she was saying how, how taking this positivity forward uh, and to benefit the sport is, is going to be a big focus uh, for BE, British Eventing and I'm sure the other governing bodies as well. Yeah, I've really noticed actually among my non-horsey friends, there's been a lot, I've had a lot of questions. I had a friend who uh, messaged me during the Olympics and said, how do they make the horses take those tiny steps? And I was like, I don't think that's something I can explain by WhatsApp while I'm standing in a mix zone. So I was like, let's go to dinner when I get home. (laughs) And I think we've seen a lot on social media and in the mainstream media about equestrianism as well during the games. And the story touched on that as well. Yeah, so it's, it's dressage, especially the hashtag dressage, um, apparently had one more than 1.3 billion views on TikTok. Um, and also, the, you know, some high profile fans like, like the golfer Rory McIlroy said he found it mesmerizing. <laughs> yeah, that was something that actually came up during the Games for us because um, we had a reporter with us most of the time from the Olympic Information Service called David. And um, David obviously had got wind of this uh, Rory McIlroy golf story. And he basically made it his mission to find a rider who was interested in golf so to kind of find the other way around person and I really admired his persistence because he basically asked every rider whether they were interested in golf until he found someone the funniest part was when he asked Philip Dutton but Philip thought he said was he interested in gold so he was answering a completely <laughs> different question <laughs> but eventually he found Jesse Campbell he said that yes he was interested in golf he plays a bit of golf so bless David after his persistence and uh, his confusions he did get his story I think but um... <laughs> I'm sure there have been pictures of, of show jumpers golfing or am I making that up yeah, I know that Stevie Wilde, who's a, a big commentator in show jumping, is a golfer. So, and I think he does play with some some riders. So, yeah, I think you're right, Eleanor. Um, a quick question to you on one other story. You have been writing this week about legislation around transporting animals, and I think we've talked about this legislation before on the podcast. But things have moved on a little bit. What's the crux of what's going on there at the moment? Yeah, so just the, the government announced uh, on the 18th of August that these these this new legislation will be making its way through Parliament, um, and and the main sort of points. This is on all animals being transported, but um, the main points for horse owners: the ban on live export for slaughter, a maximum 12-hour journey time, um, and or eight hours if the external temperature is 25 degrees C or over or below freezing. Um, but the the legislation at the moment would also ban travelling horses at at all if the external temperature is 30 degrees celsius or more which obviously doesn't happen much in this country but but does happen um unless the vehicle's got a thermoregulation system but just so if anyone's looking at that and going oh would that rule out all transport on hot summer days the government is still in discussions with the industry and working on this so um yeah that's what the proposals say at the moment but we don't know what the final law will be just yet Okay, well, we'll keep an eye on that and you can be sure we'll be bringing you the news once we know what the outcome is in the magazine and online probably too. Um, That's quite a neat segue, Becky, into your next story, which is about horses sweating or actually it's about horses that can't sweat and a scientific study into that. Tell us about this. What's it all about? 
Well, this is a study that's been done by researchers in the United States, and it looks at a condition called anhydrosis. And like you mentioned, it's horses who physically can't sweat. And I'll be honest, it's a condition I wasn't familiar with. But what this means is if a horse can't sweat, then this is affecting their natural sort of cooling mechanism and they can overheat simply standing in a field. Um, I will mention predominantly horses are more at risk of this in sort of the hotter climates and you know the southern states in the United States. But this study it looked at the DNA sequences of horses um, with this condition and it found genomic markers that pointed to defective potassium channels that likely hinders the sweat function in horses. And interestingly, the researchers found there's a similarity between this disease and cystic fibrosis in humans. Wow, that's interesting. And does it offer any sort of hopes of treatments to help those horses in the future? So at the moment, there isn't a cure or treatment. But now that the researchers have done this work, it's hoped they can start considering ways to treat anhydrosis. And they plan to design some strategies that will work towards this in the future. Okay, I guess the first first route to finding a treatment or a cure is to understand the condition. And that's what this is all about. Well, thank you, Becky, for that. And to Eleanor for joining us today, too. So now we're going over to Katie Bleakman, an online fitness coach and personal trainer specialising in equestrian athletes. Katie has evented to a high level, winning Team Silver at the Eventing Pony Europeans, and now riders all over the world can benefit from her online coaching programme, Event Rider Fitness. Over to you, Katie. So today we're going to talk about the importance of your cardiovascular fitness for your riding. So when we think about improving our fitness and strength, a lot of the focus is often on strength training and improving your core, improving your lower body, doing workouts that use resistance and um, apply progressive overload, maybe in the gym or from home. But improving your aerobic and anaerobic energy systems are a consideration you want to be thinking about as well. And again, it's important to think about what is it that you do? What does your discipline require? Your heart rate increases as you move through the gate. So say when you are trotting, your heart rate is going to be a lot lower than compared to galloping. Your oxygen consumption as well is going to rise as the gates rise and it's important that you understand which aerobic system you're using when you're riding. A lot of our muscular activity when we're riding is isometric which basically means you're holding a position. So if you think of your two point position when you're at the saddle cross country you're basically holding a half squat but equally your aerobic system is being challenged because your heart rate's up, you're trying to disperse the lactate that is in your body and in your muscles so it is really important that you have the endurance and the physical capability to be able to do this. So the best way to explain your aerobic system is to think of your steady state, low to moderate effort, going out for like a super easy run or a bike ride or maybe jumping in the pool and having a nice easy swim. It's easy, it's low effort. So this means like, you know, five out of 10 effort wise, it's by no means working at your hardest. And this is what's gonna improve your muscular endurance and your cardiovascular condi conditioning. And alongside your strength work, if you work on your cardiovascular system, you're going to have better muscular endurance, which basically means you're gonna be able to keep going for longer periods of time. If you then relate that back to riding, you're gonna be stronger for longer in things like going cross country or walking courses or at the end of a lesson. So it's really important to consider. Your anaerobic system is um, your short, sharp burst system, if you like. So this is for efforts that would be from like 
anything from 30 seconds to two minutes and your immediate energy system would cover anything which you wouldn't really get in riding as such which would be like 10 seconds of full maximal effort and this is a completely different system and you want to make sure that you are including some work that trains the system as well because if you think of it again like polo and cross country or show jumping would be the best examples one minute you're riding in a nice rhythm and you know you're rolling along and you're just keeping going and then out of nowhere you're then asking your body to jump say a combination or whack a ball or whatever it is and then you have these high heart rate elevations and these short sharp bursts of energy where you're using your anaerobic system and the best way to train this would be to do some high intensity interval training so um, replicating similar movements that you'd be using cross country so something like a squat with a pulse movement so you're holding that position but you're also adding some movement in things like planks with some taps so again you're adding a bit of movement in but you're challenging your anaerobic pathways you're not giving yourself much much rest and you're having to work at this really high intensity obviously if you work at high intensities as well as with working on your endurance system you're going to kind of be covering all elements of your fitness and really be building the strongest best rider and equally best athlete that you can be when you are working your cardiovascular system, you are um, strengthening your internal organs and muscles and obviously um, you're working your heart and your lungs and the circulatory system. So you're going to be increasing the level of oxygen output in your body and therefore again like how well your muscles can, can perform like I touched on. So you can almost think of this as um, like better the engine, better the driver. If you had a Ferrari but you chucked in like a Vauxhall Corsa engine, you know, you're not going to have the same power as a proper Ferrari with a serious engine ready to go and you know hit that track do 120 miles an hour in 10 seconds flat and it's the same thing you want to make sure that you're in a good muscular position and strength position but equally you must have the engine to fuel these muscles so that you're not puffed out at the end and you have the aerobic demand to keep yourself going whether that be cross country in a lesson in a dressage test or playing polo if you'd like to know more about improving your cardiovascular fitness, then please feel free to add yourself into my Facebook group. If you search KKB Fit, you can add yourself into the group and join all of my other riders and me who are all working hard to better themselves and improve their riding. Thank you, Katie. Katie will be back with us next week to talk about core strength for riders. I'll also be talking to eventing world champion Ros Cantor about Pencos Crown Jewel, who she'll be riding at the upcoming Victim Five Star and we also chat about her experience as the British alternate rider at the Tokyo Olympics. If you're enjoying the Horse and Hand podcast, please do give us a rating or write us a review on your podcast app. It's always great to get your feedback. Talk to you next week. The Horse and Hand podcast is a Media Cage production.